Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, and my name again is Doug, and if um, watch if you're watching online, really glad that you are with us. Uh, we know a lot of people check us out online before they show up here in the room. So if you're watching online, we hope you come and hang out with us soon. Um, and by the way, I don't know if you heard the little series bumper. We we cut it off a little soon. So next time we'll just loop it, right? I didn't take the cue. I didn't, I didn't hear it. But, but our series is called uh, this, is how, this is How We Do It. And um, last week we talked about here's how we do it. We, uh, we are a family, and so we serve together like a family. Uh, next week uh, is the first Sunday in November, and we are going to do what we do every year for the last few years, what's called a Novembering service. And as a family, um, we grieve together, we stand with those who mourn, we celebrate with those who celebrate, and so we're going to take that Sunday morning next week to, to uh, make sure that we're standing with people that have had loss, especially in this past year. So on Sunday morning, we'll have that be a part of our service in our communion, uh, and then Sunday night's that seminar. Uh, and this week, we're going to talk about, um, this is how we do it. We learn to lean in, we choose to lean in so that we can become more of a real family. And I want to start this morning um, by backing off of that a little bit and tell you about a conversation that I was having with a dad not all that long ago. Uh, his son was becoming an adult, um, and in a the polarizing world that we live in, his son was starting to embrace some very different points of view about, you know, things like life and politics and truth and lies. Anybody ever have that happen in your family with your parents? Yeah. Yep, that happens. Um, and most of the points of view actually were very almost polar opposite to what this dad believed. And so I watched this dad show me what wisdom looked like because he knew a few things. One of the things he knew as a dad is that that uh, his son was just trying to figure his stuff out, and if the dad decided to draw a line in the sand and cut his son off over these disagreements, he would actually run the risk of losing his son over those disagreements. Um, but the dad also, again, wise, very wise, he knew that in at least a couple areas of these disagreements, his son was entertaining some beliefs that could lead him down a path that could even do long-term damage, and truth does matter, um, but instead of confronting him with the truth and calling it speaking the truth in love, but it was just confronting or hammering him, this dad, again, very wisely looked for ways to ask questions without alienating his son. Um, a little sidebar, by the way, though. Uh, an, another older dad uh, reminded me that when a family member, especially uh, maybe one of your kids or a parent, embraces wild conspiracy theories, um, you might disagree even in the slightest and get kind of cut off completely. So this is not like a, here's how you have to do it. And if your kid or parent just turns away from you, then you've handled it wrong. It's not that at all. There's no guarantees. But, but in this situation here, the dad did the best he could uh, to handle it. Um, he also, this dad knew another thing. He knew that, the, that his son was, was, even if it wasn't consciously, his son was testing the strength of their relationship. 
And this dad that I was talking to, he, he, he said kind of in hindsight, you know, hey, I, I'm sure I didn't do it all perfectly, but what I wanted to make sure is that my, my, my son knew that I, as his dad, loved him. My acceptance of him was never in doubt, even if we disagreed. And interestingly, then, when that son, a little bit later, kind of ran into, you know, you know life <laughs> or reality, this relationship with his dad was strong enough they had stayed connected, and the dad could then be with his son while he worked some things through. And in their case, their connection got stronger through this kind of posture. And I think part of why that is, a big part, is that healthy families learn to stay focused on love rather than trying to force absolute agreement. Um, it's true in families, and if you've been around here, you know we say things like that about church family as well. It, it can't be just built solely on agreement, not if it's real family. Now, our world is um, more healthy and more unhealthy, I'm sorry, is more unhealthy, uh, more divided than ever. We are actually now in our culture especially conditioned to disagree on the craziest things. I mean, all you have to do is, like, open your mailbox right now. Anybody, you know, like, most of your mail right now are, like, political ads and, like, they've sacrificed another tree just to shove into your uh, mailbox. Um, just the propaganda, both sides, it's crazy. I don't know. Now I know where all the money goes that they raise. Um, it goes into your mailbox, and maybe that's what keeps the post office in business. So, um, or, or the political ads on TV, right? Anybody? Just like, oh, seriously, I got to find the mute button because every time there is a commercial and there's always a nefarious tone. It doesn't matter which side, right? It's like, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, or the text messages. I don't remember getting this many text messages. Anybody else having this kind of issue as well? Good. I was hoping one of you didn't put me on like some distribution list. So uh, at least we're in this together. And, and you guys are smart. No matter which way you lean politically, it's just really embarrassing, right? Like, whoever it is, essentially the message is, this other candidate wants to destroy America and turn our nation into anarchy. They hate freedom. So vote for me. I mean, it's just, essentially, am I close? Right? Yeah. I mean, I, for one, cannot wait until election season is over. Um, yes. Jesus comes soon. Yes. Um, you know, these spam texts that we get, uh, I know they're, you know, probably just bots and even though it says, hi, this is Diane, and did you know that? So and so, you're right. It's, it, it, maybe that's how they get through the spam filters. And I know, I'm pretty sure, that if we reply back to these things, nobody's ever going to read our reply. And I must be on some special distribution list that knows that I'm a pastor or knows that I'm a Christian. Because um, some of these texts I'm getting try to kind of play up the Christian angle, right? Um, so... You know, I thought for a couple of days, you know what, I'm just going to reply back to these that seem like they're coming from a Christian angle and just see if anybody texts me back. And so I would text a reply to whatever it is, like, well, hello, Diane, you know. Um, you know, even, hey, even if I agreed with your candidate's policies, I can't support the name-calling, the disrespect, the outright lies being promoted. Um, doesn't character or truth matter anymore? And frankly, as uh, a pastor, um, it's embarrassing to see what your, you know, Christian organization is supporting, and I think it partly explains why the next generation is walking away from churches in droves, because they see that we as a church don't actually believe what we say we believe, and we don't as a group seem to actually follow the teachings of Jesus. They think that we care more about being in power, and maybe 
they're partially right, the next generation. Um, something like that was sort of my rant uh, that I copied and pasted to those. It didn't matter, the, the, the text stopped coming. And by the way, how many replies do you think I got from my reply to them? Zero, Zero exactly, right? Yeah, nobody's reading this stuff, right? Um, but, but it raised for me kind of the big concern I have, a real concern, is that the next generation um, is really disconnecting from churches, really uh, all over the U.S. especially, and, and in many churches. And I have lots of friends that are pastors. In many churches, a lot of people who are in their 20s and 30s are kind of opting out of church. In fact, the research that they're doing says that for many of those folks that are opting out over the last couple of years, part of why they're opting out is because of how they see the broader Christian community or maybe even their church behave over political or social issues. I, I had some conversations along this line not too long ago uh, on a few occasions with a few different people who had kind of opted out. And they're like, hey, I'm really glad for the leadership at your church. I think you guys are handling it pretty well. But, you know, um, overall, it's just kind of stunning to see how Christians and churches overall seem to have behaved. So they'll say, we're taking a break from church, or, or we don't even see some of them, one of them in particular said, we don't understand why being a part of a church really matters. It doesn't look much different than everybody else in their polarization. And, and that just breaks, you know, my heart. Um, and one of the reasons is that um, Christians, uh, and let me say it this way, the American church broadly, um, if we continue to cultivate that kind of reputation, we're going to lose the next generation, if we haven't already. And if, uh, if I didn't mention it in this service before, Andy Stanley wrote a fantastic book called Not In It to Win It. Not In It to Win It. I, man, I would love it if as many of us read that as possible. Such a well-written, concise, biblical kind of take on, on what's going on. But, but, but what happens when, when, when we forget um, that we're supposed to be a family and instead we get distracted with other causes, when we forget um, that, that what we're supposed to do is invite lost people into a family, we're supposed to invite lost people into the family of God, where they can belong before they believe, um, where they are accepted whether or not they agree, because that's what a family does, and that's what helps grow people up to be loved and accepted, and then just walked with, and, and again, especially when I think about the next generation, it's such a huge thing for me, because my initial, like, push in ministry as a young pastor was to reach people in their 20s and 30s, and so that's always been an area for me, uh, even as I've grown out of that age group, because I just watch what happens, and I know how crucial it is that we, as a church, do our best to try to provide something to invite people into, that family kind of feel, uh, and, and in fact, it's such a, a passion for me that every day, nearly every day, I, I spend time praying that God would show us, the Hope Covenant community, how it is that he's calling us to love and serve and reach the people who feel lost and feel far from God. Because despite what they've experienced or seen, um, maybe, maybe, maybe there is a way to demonstrate to a polarized world that the message of Jesus and the love of God is exactly what can 
bring people the, the, the hope, the peace, the love, and the purpose that they long for, that all of us long for. And I'm convinced, in fact, that, that, that a big part of what God's calling us to as a church family is for us to be a multi-generational community that leans in to become a real family. And when we do that, it's going to make a big difference to every generation when we do that. Instead of us going, well, how are we going to grow the church by, you know, changing our worship style or or adding more things to attract people um, or any of that stuff, man, you know what, if, if we move more and more towards becoming and demonstrating the real family culture that God has invited churches to display instead of worrying about all this stuff out there, um, maybe that's where the Spirit of God shows up in ways that we might never have imagined. And, and when we become more of a family dynamic, I'm convinced it's going to help us to avoid a lot of those traps of the culture. Like our culture has all these traps that divide us, where we build walls, where we separate, where we make others into our enemies. But those traps, which are so easy to fall into, they're going to have less power. When, when, and they're not going to be able to alienate people when, when, when you and I, when we lean into the reality that we are a family. And in our current series, this is how we do it. We lean in to become a real family. And Hope, this is such a beautiful church community. And we are a community that is becoming family. And so I just want to talk this morning about leaning into that. Leaning into that today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. It will also be up on the screen. Ephesians 2, chapter 8, sorry, Chapter 2, verse 18. Dwayne's like, where'd you get a Bible with chapter 18 in Ephesians? Yeah, right? Let me read it for us. Um, In fact, let's all read this out loud off the screen together. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners... You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Paul's telling us right here that we come to the God who is a father, and he says that makes us members of God's what? Family. Family. So a word about being God's family and a word about God as father. Um, Back then, some of you know, we've said this before here, that 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 term father for God was kind of shied away from because it was considered too disrespectful because it made God sound too familiar, too intimate, um, too approachable. And so it was not common with, with Jewish religion to think of God as father. But as you know, if you've been around um, the New Testament at all, then Jesus comes along and he introduces and emphasizes this reality That God isn't aloof, he's not out there somewhere, that God is right here, present with us as a loving father. And I think it's important for us to realize that, like, that Jesus didn't borrow this analogy of family or fatherhood from our human families, like, oh, they'll get this, we'll borrow that. No, no, no. Um, Rather, calling God our father was a way of saying that the whole idea of family comes from God in the first place, right, right, family is God's idea, it's not our idea, it's God's idea, 
Like, God didn't borrow the idea from us. He has loaned his idea of family to us. And so then, life with God is family life. And by the way, some people, that'll push them back a little, right? But I think this is actually really good news, especially for those of us who, who did not, you know, have a healthy picture of what a father is like from their human family. See, I think God wants to redeem that. I think it's, this is also, instead of like, oh, family, I'm going to push back from that. Uh, maybe for those of us that might initially want to push back, I think this is also good news for people who might get confused by the description of, of the church as a family. Like, it's understandable that if their family of origin, you know, sucked, then why would they want to be a part of another family? Well, because the whole idea of family comes from God in the first place. And, and if you had a terrible family here on earth, or if your family relationships were difficult, strange, disappointing, or cold, if they were any of those things, that actually fell short of God's definition of family. And he wants to give us something better because he intends something very differently when it comes to this idea of family. And even, even if you're from a really good family, even a good Earthly family is a shadow of what God wants to offer us in the family of God. Now, the, the Old Testament prophet Malachi said that the Messiah would turn the hearts of fathers toward their children and children to their fathers. And where could that get modeled? Where, where would we maybe be able to see that happen in person? See, I think... It's supposed to happen in the family of God. In fact, maybe we learn to do it right here in our church family. And when we see it happening here, maybe it starts to give us hope for strained family relationships outside of here of what it could be because we see it happening around us. I mean, can you imagine the impact that that would have? I think that would be um, so powerful, so amazing, and I think that's part of what God was after when he wants us to invite people into the family context, the family of God. Again, so life with God is family life, and we become new members of God's family when we are born into our new life with Christ, is what the scripture says that we've been looking at here. So family, it's God's idea, it's not ours. That'd be the first observation. And second observation that I want to make from our passage today is that um, family is our identity. Family is our identity. See, we are, according to Scripture, a family. And if we trust what Scripture says, and we see it's declared, even if we look around and it doesn't match up, we go, okay, this is what God declares it to be, so he's inviting us into that. So if family is our identity, I think we start with that as our identity, and then we get honest. Like, we look at it. We don't have to pretend, right? Um, and we go, hey, you know what? There's certain things about our church family right now that, hey, there's things that do look like family, and, well, there's some other things that don't really look like family, you know? Like, we do this and that and the other thing really well. We do look like family in those ways. But honestly, in many other ways, we, we don't, at least yet, look like Family, we got a long ways to go and grow. And it's easier, I think, to kind of drift over to that side, the disappointment side. Um, and it's easy to become, you know, disappointed with, you know, the church when the church fails us. And by the way, I understand that perspective. I really do, because I've had that happen 
many times in many different church contexts I've been in where I've felt disappointed or let down by the church or hurt by, you know, the church. And my position in the past would be to push back from the church rather than going, oh, you know what, it's these individuals inside that church that I really need to deal with. And it's just sometimes easier to make a generic, you know, push back, go away from the church. Um, And honestly, like when I had and have pushed back in the past and stepped away, I think it's interesting um, how often that we hold the body of Christ to a certain standard of family and they're not measuring up to. um, And we hold the body of Christ to that standard of family, but we don't even hold our own families to that standard, right? Anybody here in the room have a perfect family? Anyone? Anybody? Nobody yet? Just Tony in the back there. That's good. All right. And Tony, I know, is a liar, so we're good. Yep. Um, You know, I mean, seriously, though, think about this. How many of your families always had a perfectly loving and grace-filled environment? (laughs) Some of us laugh a little harder than others when we imagine that. But here's what's cool is that it's, it's, it's not about becoming perfect, perfect family in that area. It's about practicing. It's about learning to be formed as a family. It's about the journey that we are on. And the journey that we're on, by the way, is not seeing how fast can we get from point A to point B so we just program more things to make our church more of a family. That'll do it. Just program more. Um, I don't think that that would probably work. (laughs) Um, What I think we need to do, and maybe at the stage of the journey we are at as a family, we just embrace our identity, that we are family, and then we grow into what we already have. Like, like we learn to own the things that we already have, that we already do, the ways we already display it. We start there instead of just trying to connect, correct all the, you know, ways that we're falling short. We'll get there, but let's look at the stuff that we are actually looking like the family of God in. And by the way, we won't always get it right, right? But, but our aim is for us to mature, to grow as a family together. And remember, like I said last week, family is what God uses to grow us up. But in order to do that, we're going to have to lean in and choose to treat church and our time and our gathering together to treat this like family and not a business. In order to experience family um, We cannot treat church as if it were a consumer relationship, right? Now, a consumer relationship is one where you figure out what you need and who can best meet that need. And there's nothing wrong with consumer relationships. I have a consumer relationship with my grocery store, okay? I go to, you know, the Safeway down the street because it's convenient to my house. The prices are fairly good. The produce isn't bad. It's got a decent butcher counter um, and because I know exactly where they keep the, you know, the chocolates up front. So I can practice resisting, right, as I just move right past it. Um, unless, you know, there's a smoking good sale, right? I mean, you're like, whoa, what, three for a dollar? I mean, I'm losing money if I don't buy, like, 30, right? Um, <clears throat> but that's my store, right? <laughs> that's my store. Um, but if I find a store that's more convenient, closer, better prices, whatever, I'm going to go there because it's a consumer relationship. There's nothing wrong with that in the grocery store, but we can't carry that into family, can we? We can't carry that into family. It um, doesn't work that way with a family. Like, I can't have 
that sort of consumer relationship with my kids or my grandkids. I don't go to them and say, hey, you know, <clears throat> Noah, this just isn't working out. It's, it's not you, bud. It's me. And, and I've actually been hanging out with the neighbor's kids. And, you know, I'm way happier with them right now. Um, <laughs> see, no parent in here would do that because you know, you know that your relationship with your kids, it's not a consumer relationship, right? It's a covenant relationship, which means, um, okay, well, kid, I'm not connected to you because of what you do for me. I'm connected to you, committed to you, because we're family. Okay, so shift that over just a little bit. Which kind of relationship do you think Scripture intends a church to be more like? Especially if we say that we're the family of God, right? Is family more consumer or more covenant? Yeah, a little hint, it's in our name, it's in our denomination's name, right? Just a little, little hint right there. Yeah, covenant. But you know what? I even like hesitate, a little fear and trembling to say that because um, if we end up ditching our family because it's just not meeting my needs or my desires have changed or the family members, some of them just annoy me or some of the new family members maybe don't act the way that we expect them to or, or you know, they're just not doing it for me anyway, then when we do that, we're treating it more like a consumer relationship. And, and like I said last week, family is how God grows you up and matures you. And if we treat church or faith or family like a consumer, we won't grow up. And, and that just got me thinking about um, how we here just help each other grow up and mature. It got me also thinking about the high value that we here at Hope have to be a multi-generational church family. See, in healthy families, you end up with people at every life stage, right? Like you go to a Thanksgiving meal with the whole family, and if everybody's like five years old, it's really interesting, right? Um, or on the other end, if everybody's, you know, there's no generations behind them, it's just, it'd be missing. It'd be missing something. And here at Hope, we want to look like God's family by being multi-generational, and we want to do that intentionally. Uh, Dwayne did a great job of keeping that in front of us as he was the lead pastor for so many years. And we want to have kids and teens. We want to have young adults and young singles, young couples. We want to have parents and parents with kids and parents with teens. And we want to have those of us who are empty nesters. Hallelujah, hallelujah, I'm one of those. Um, yeah, and we need grandparents. And we have seniors. It's a family of all generations, not just catering to one generation. Um, and there's a variety of ways that churches do that, and that's okay. They can do that. I'm not responsible for anyone else. I'm responsible to love and shepherd this family. And so, you know, I thought just for a couple minutes here, I just want to wonder, well, how's that going here for us at Hope, um, that multi-generation? We start with our kids, and, you know, COVID did hit hard, um, but our kids' ministry is starting to grow, especially in that young elementary age, um, and... We're praying for more growth as the whole kids' ministry age groups, but that's going pretty well. Um, and in our teen, our youth group is growing. There's a lot of boys, um, which I always think that's, that's awesome because, um, yeah, anyway. But <laughs> um, sounds like a lot of fun. Maybe it's a lot of work. I don't know. 
Um, so, but then we move up kind of to our young adults, and that's where we've had some struggles for folks to connect. Um, Erin is working to figure a strategy out for that. We trust her leadership uh, in that, so we're thinking, we're hoping that we're going to start making some progress there. Um, and when it comes to young adults, and then especially kind of young couples with kids, especially those couples with babies and toddlers, honestly, um, it's just been a bit sporadic. We've actually lost a lot of traction with those parts of our church family. Um, we had a lot of young parents visit uh, Hope um, and tell us kind of the same story. Hey, we loved Hope, the music, the messages, the people, but our kid was like the only toddler in the classroom. There was no other little ones, and so they went elsewhere. I hope they went somewhere, right? Um, we also had some new parents who previously had been a part of Hope, uh, became parents, and even as COVID waned, like they're just, it was like all these parents, when they did come, they just kind of missed each other, right? <laughs> parents with little kids would show up on different weekends. I mean, we probably would have like a dozen toddlers and 20 young parents if everybody showed up on the same week <laughs> and stuck around. Uh, but that's been an area that, that we want to just start as a family paying attention more and, and praying for because uh, in this next season, what I'm asking God for is to bring some kind of pioneer families who are going to come, who are going to stay, who are going to be patient um, so that when other parents with little ones show up, then we can build from there. And we do have a few of those. So when you see them around here, be sure to thank them because they're the pioneers and we want to be grateful and make sure they feel included in this church family. We want to pray specifically for that and support them. And if you are someone in that age range, uh, or you're watching online or listening to the podcast, um, you're in that 20s, 30s, maybe even 40s age group, um, especially if you have younger kids, then I have two questions for you in that age group. One, I'm going to ask you, will you be our young family and young adult pioneers? Will you decide to be those pioneers? Uh, and second question, as a multi-generational church family, will you also look for ways to, to honor um, the older generations, to thank them, to befriend them, um, maybe even wonder, like, how can I make sure that the older generations in our family know that they are appreciated and that I value them and honor the contributions they've made to our church family and made it what it is today? Um, that's such a great way to do it. So those are the two things, if you're in that age range, that I'm asking you to consider. And by the way, um, um, men of all ages, we have Friday morning, men's discipleship happens right in here, 6 a.m. And I'm not sure what the makeup is right now, but for a while, there was at least one person in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and a couple in each of those. And there's still room for folks to join in 6 a.m. with Pastor Dwayne. Friday morning um, in this multi-generational men's discipleship group. There's room. Now, so let me shift from kind of that younger adult to the older generations. Um, I'm going to say that would be the crowd 60 plus, uh, the crescendo group in some ways, right? Um, that's our ministry. Yeah, crescendo. Shout out to crescendo. Um, the, these are the moms, the dads, the spiritual grandparents of our church. And first, I just want to say to you, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, I want you to know, um, despite what our culture maybe tries to tell you about what your role is or your importance is, um, you are absolutely needed. 
um, not just at our church, but even specifically in the life of our children and our young people, maybe even especially with our teenagers, because you have stories about how you have walked with God, and it's shaped who you are today as a follower of Jesus. And you might think they don't want to know, they're not interested, they don't really care. But listen, the vast majority, you've probably heard this before, the vast majority of people who become Christians make that decision before the age of 18. That's where people make that decision. In fact, uh, the last study I looked at said it's about 94% of people who decide to follow Jesus make that decision before they become adults. So it's up to us as adults to make sure that we're interested and caring and attempting to just love these kids like they're a part of our family because they are. And when you see the teenagers around Hope, especially, they just need to be loved by you. They need to see your authentic hearts for God. You know, there are teens who need us to come alongside them. They need your welcoming, your prayer. They need your encouragement. And this is especially true for the children and especially the teenagers in our church that do not have adults at home that spiritually parent them. A lot of them just come on their own or come with a friend, and you get to play a role that, that, that only you can play that is so crucial in their spiritual journey. Now, one uh, great example of this, uh, is he in here? Brad Carlberg, is he in here? Okay, I can talk about him because he's not here. All right, next service, I'll make up somebody else. Um, Brad is fantastic, right? He is doing so well at this. Brad's in, what, his mid-60s? I'm going to get in trouble if I go too far, right? Yeah. Mid-60s, Brad. Oh, he's hiding way back there. Brad, how old are you? 27. Nope, we don't believe that. Okay. Um, but Brad, Brad loves our teenagers by serving every week on Sunday and Wednesday nights. And now I'm not asking all of you who are 60 plus to sign up and serve in the youth group. But, but you know what you can do? You can be kind. It makes a difference, right? You can say hello. Stop even. Shake their hand. Tell them, I'm so glad that you're here this week. You have no idea the impact that will make. Or, or shake their hand and just say, if you're really bold, just say, hey, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? I'm sure they'll be stunned, right? Um, and since they're teenagers, they might not say anything. That's okay. That's okay. Pray for them anyway. And then the next time you see them, whether they told you something to pray for or not, you just say, hey, hey, I'm praying for you. Do you know the difference? The difference that could make. Because statistics say the kids that keep following Jesus out of their high school years it's great when you have a Christian parent. The higher indicator is that there was another Christian adult who was invested and interested in their life. That makes a huge difference. That means Hope Family, all ages, but especially those of you who are more that grandparent stage, you are crucial in that. Right? Just look, shake a hand. Hey, how can I pray for you? Right? Now, Will that be awkward? Yeah, absolutely, but who cares, right? Do it anyways. Heck, Brad, he's pretty awkward, and if he can do it, you can do it, right? Because <laughs> it's family. It's family, you guys. It's family. Chris, I'm going to skip ahead to the next slide. Again, let me repeat that I'm convinced, you guys, that a major part of our call as a church 
is to be a multi-generational community that's going to lean in and learn to become a real family. And I believe it makes a difference to every generation, and it makes a huge difference for those outside our walls to see something different when we demonstrate family together. Because this is a beautiful church community. We are a community that is becoming family. And by the way, those of you who are newer to the family, welcome. And just so you know, if you haven't experienced it yet, we won't always get it right. We're going to let you down. We don't mean to, but we let people down. We miss, and we sometimes, folks feel like they fall through the cracks. Um, But we're heading toward this identity, this trajectory toward family. So welcome. We want you to be a part of the family. Because, to be honest, there's a lot of us that are around for a long time, and if we get honest, even for those of us who have been here for years, that family dynamic can feel really elusive, right? Right? So you're not alone if you're like, well, I'm new, I don't really feel part of the family. There's a lot of us that have been around a while that we're like, ah, kind of, it's elusive, right? You know, small groups help, but it takes time. Serving on a team, it helps, but it takes time. Um, Crescendo. Women's Bible study, all of it helps, but it takes time. And can I encourage you with this? See, this family dynamic, this family feel, it's not something that we can just manufacture strictly through programs. I love the Bible studies, the small groups, all of it, but it, it, those things can't create family on its own. See, what will create in our church a stronger sense of family is when we collectively decide to lean into it. We lean in. When we say it's not about Doug talking about family, it's not about a few people owning the family culture of our church. No, no, no. It's when we actually choose to lean into it. And when we are a proximity like we are today and we make sure to notice people, Notice those around us to lean in, to choose to see other people as our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the lean in so that we become a real family part of it. Worship team, will you come? See, a lot of folks, um, because we got that kind of consumer bent, um, we really want the benefits of a church family without taking the relational risks, right? But I want to encourage all of you to to lean in relationally. Here's what that could look like. Invite somebody to coffee, right? Invite somebody to come over and sit on your back patio and hang out or have dessert or something. Maybe ask someone to grab lunch with you after church. You know, hey, do you have any plans for lunch? Just invite them. And by the way, today you're off the hook because there's a chili cook-off, so you don't have to do this today. But next week, plan to just... Leave your schedule open and know that maybe somebody can't and we try not to take that personally. It's okay. We just keep putting it out there so we lean into being family. Maybe we just find ways to encourage people that we don't know. And by the way, by the way, if you're waiting for someone to come and do that to you and to reach out to you, can I encourage you to reverse that? Just kind of flip that around Because, and hear this from like a grace-filled posture, listen, we are all waiting for that to some degree, right? We are all waiting for somebody to reach out to us, but we're also so fatigued. So will you commit to take a first step? To invite someone, to 
to reach out, to join a group, to find a place to serve? Will you lean in to help us be more of the family that God has already declared us to be? Will you help cultivate that reality of being a family through your own choices and intentions? Because even though it's our identity, it's not automatic. Family is not automatic. It happens when we take those intentional steps, when we lean in. So the question for each of us today, um, if you're a part of this church, you've been coming for any amount of time, um, how will you do that? Just think right now, who could you invite for coffee or a meal? Who could you write an encouraging note to? Um, what teen could you greet, hug, or just shake hands with and pray for? Make that kid your kid that you're going to target even. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? How can you lean in, pitch in in the family to serve and even make every Sunday morning like the greatest Thanksgiving celebration. Just make the best environment where people can be loved and cared for and experience this, this family thing that God has given to us as a gift. Because Hope Family, this is how we do it. We lean in. As we get ready to invite God now to speak as we close to each of us about this, I want to look back one more time at our scripture for today. Let's read it out loud again together from Ephesians 2. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. See, we are members of God's family because, notice, because of what Christ has done for us. And what he did is invited us to be the family that we now are as God's people. So will you stand with me and, and let's open our hearts and invite Jesus to speak to us right now as we sing, let these words be a prayer that we would open our hearts to do what Jesus is calling us to lean into in terms of taking another step in deepening our connection as a family. Let's sing together.